Greetings from Bishop Aubrey Shines and G2G Ministries in Tampa, Florida. We pray that you would be blessed and encouraged by the biblical message you are about to hear. Today's classic sermon from Bishop Shines is a Christmas message, Jesus is the Reason for the Season, with reference scripture 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 in the King James Translation. chapter. First John 3. I promise we'll be out soon. First John 3. And I want you to see something very familiar, I hope, passage of scripture. You've heard us talk about it so, so often. We're going to look at just one verse of scripture found in verse number 8. First John 3 and 8. 1 John 3 and 8, and I'm going to give you a few other scriptures as we go, but this one we will read aloud together. If you have it, say amen. Amen. Come on, let's read verse 8 corporately. Come on, read with Pastor. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Would you just grab someone by the hand, please, real quickly, and just tell them Jesus is the reason for the season. Come on, tell them again. Tell them Jesus is the reason for the season. All right, let's go as you take your seat. And I'm going to give you a few other scriptures here in just a moment. Uh, but I wanted to share because so often, uh, so very often, we, I, I think we really do forget uh, the purpose. You've heard me talk about these things for some time and, and, and how often people uh, will miss the real reason and the purpose for the season that we live in. But we want to make sure that uh, we're doing the things and the will of God in such a way that you hear it over and over again. The purpose for Christ's coming is to destroy the works. Please write this down. Is for him to destroy the works of the devil. I shared with you at least in brief on last week some of the things that you really need to put down and I gave you some of these over and over again but I just want to make sure that uh, you're grabbing them one more time and that is that when we deal with things of this magnitude if you don't understand them you'll never understand then what your purpose is look and tell someone if you don't understand the word of the Lord tell them you won't understand who you really are Amen. So if you don't understand it, you won't understand who you are. What I want to highlight on just very quickly, please record this, is that what we understand about Jesus is that Jesus, please record it, was God in the flesh. Make sure you get it. And the reason that is so paramount, and and again, if you've not been here for a period of a few years, I do strongly recommend that you get the series that I uh, taught on comparative religion because there's no way for me to take 20-some minutes and go through all of the things that you need to know as it relates to Christ. The reason I took time to do those things is because often when you're doing the will of God, you're going to run across people that don't share the same understanding that you do about who Jesus is. And often what I'm finding is that often believers don't understand who Christ is. If they did, they would not be the number one exporters into false religions. I want to say that again. Men and women that have been in Christianity that have never had a strong grasp in Christianity become the number one people that find themselves in a cultic 
type practices. And as a result of it, they don't know how to give voice. They don't know how to argue uh, what they believe in because they never take time to be trained. Do you realize that most people just kind of go to church as a religious duty? But they never take time to know the word. They never take time to know who the Lord really, really is. And often, we only study Christ when we're trying to get something from him. Therefore, we'll find a scripture or two that is applicable to our lives. And we'll quote that scripture without ever having proper intimacy with God. And if you don't know your word, touch somebody on the kneecap and tell them, you better know your word. If you don't know your word, then when the enemy comes, only thing you have to do is go read the life of Jesus. When Satan approached Christ after he had come off that long 40-day fast, note what he didn't do. He didn't go to Christ with uh, a song or a dance. He went quoting the scripture himself. And when he went tempting Jesus, we call it the Mount of Temptation or the Temptations of Christ. When he tempted Christ, if you take time to study Matthew's account, you will find that when he tempted Christ, he didn't tempt him with a philosophy he didn't tempt him with a certain ideology but he tempted him with what was already written in the word so when Jesus defeated him he didn't defeat him with a dance he didn't defeat him with a soundtrack he didn't defeat him with anything other than the very thing that the enemy came to him with and that was the word touch somebody and tell your neighbor you need to know the word when you know the word, then you go back to John, where John says, for this purpose was the king born, and that was that he may destroy the works of the enemy. Please write this down in your journal. If Jesus destroyed the works of the enemy, please write this down. Your job and my job is also to destroy his works. The purpose for the believer is to destroy the works of the enemy. People of God, please hear your pastor. We are in a battle. And if you don't take a battle serious, it doesn't mean that your opponent is not, not going to fight you simply because you don't want to engage him. Your opponent will ha run havoc in your life when you choose never to engage him. So as a believer, you and I are required to know the scripture because when you know the scripture, you'll know how to fight the enemy because whether you believe it or not, the things that are happening, whether it's in your finance, in your relationship, they are all, if they're negative, their influence has a spiritual dichotomy, which its roots go all the way back to Satan and anything that is negative that is trying to overcome you has its origin and I want you to hear me it's not the person that's coming against you as a matter of fact look at your neighbor tell your neighbor you're not my enemy come on tell them even if the enemy use you you're still not my enemy the enemy is the one who is influencing the individual to think the thoughts to do what they're doing so when you don't know how to combat the enemy then you will look at the person and get mad at the individual but our person uh, that we're dealing with is not the person that is yielding themselves but it is the influencer that is having havoc in that person's life and because you and I are believers the Lord's response to you and I is that we would become so equipped 
that we will be able to fight the good fight of faith. And even after we have stood, we can, tend, we can continue to stand after we've done everything for one purpose. Because we know the voice of the enemy then. This is the reason why here in this ministry, I drive you, especially if you're a new believer, please hear your pastor. You need to buy a journal. Everybody that has a journal, just lift your journal up in the air. You need to take a look around. Look at all the men and women that come here to write. That pad that you are filling up is going to be your source that is going to help you with the word of the Lord do some great exploits. So your pad needs to be filled. Come on, say amen. amen. Now, if you're going to understand who he is, then you need to understand what he is as well. Turn over with me real quick, if you don't mind, to 1 John. The first chapter of John, that's St. John, not the book of John, not the letter of John, but the gospel of John. And I want you to see something in this because often people don't realize that the Lord is God manifested in the flesh. And when you learn this principle, and again, I can't teach it all today, get the CD uh, where I taught compared to religion and I taught, taught uh, and taught you about the incarnate God or God manifested in flesh or the deity of God. If you understand that, please hear me, you'll be able to dialogue and defend the gospel against most false religions. Understand this one principle about God in the flesh. You'll knock them all out because most never acknowledge Jesus as God manifested in the flesh. They'll say, well, Jesus was just the second part of the deity and he was just another part, but he was underneath God. I beg to differ with you. The scripture does not teach that at all. And most believers in this season that we celebrate, we don't understand the heartbeat of God. Therefore, we just say things and not understand understand them clearly now look with me if you don't mind at st john the first chapter and it's a lot of verses here to read but uh, i'll just go down to at least 13 or 14 of them look at how it reads here it says in the beginning was what the word now note in your king james bible please underline it the word there is capitalized so he he didn't say that in the beginning was a word he says in the beginning was the word make sure you put that down now, if you're going to understand the scripture and understand how God is manifest in the flesh, you need to understand that in the beginning was the word, not a word, but the word. How many know it's the difference between a and the? If you just in the beginning was the word, you're dealing with one thing. If you're dealing in the beginning was a word, whole different thing because a word could be anything. But when it's the, it personifies the very mind beat of God. Watch this. In the beginning was the word, capitalized, and the word was what? With God. And the word was what? Wait a minute. That sounds like a trinity going on right here. If in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God then we better find out who the word was. Look at verse number two. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Stop right there. Please write it down. I'm going to let you do your own research on it. But in the book of Colossians, when Paul is writing in the city of Colossi there, uh, Colossi there, he tells us that all things were made by Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. If all things were made by Jesus Christ and then an occultic person tries to tell us, wait a minute. Uh, no, no. God made all things. Either we have someone lying or someone is not understanding the gospel. 
So if Paul tells us that all things were made by him and without him there was nothing that was made that was made and all things were made for his benefit and then John who was walking with Jesus writing these things is saying in the beginning was the word capitalized and in the word was with God the word was God. And if you go then to verse number two, he says, and the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life. And the life was the light of men and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness did not even understand what was going on. There was a man sent from God talking about John here whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not the light. In other words, John wasn't the light. I, I know you are. We call him John the Baptist and we think this is where Baptist churches come from. But this ain't with the Baptist church. Look and tell your neighbor John was a baptizer. Tell him he wasn't a Baptist. Would you go on and whisper if you're around Deaconess Ellis and tell him he wasn't a Methodist either? I don't know how that got in there, Deaconess Ellis. Pray for me. So he says he was a light, but he was sent to bear witness of light. Now watch this. Go back to verse number seven. The, the, the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light. In other words, there were some other lights, but note again, the word light is even capitalized. So it's giving you a title and a symbol of who Christ is right here. So we're not just seeing him as the word capitalized, but we're seeing him as the ultimate light capitalized watch this it didn't say that he was as oprah winfrey says one of many lights i'm sorry i messed up your old show didn't i yeah see people like that you may want to write this word down is where we get the word pantheist from it means that they believe in multiple gods when you are a pantheist you believe in multiple deities or multiple gods here's the problem if you believe in multiple gods, then you cannot adhere to the gospel of Jesus Christ because he himself says something different as well as John the baptizer says something different about him. They never said he was one of the lights. If you practice Hinduism, you know, if you've ever been in any type of form of Hinduism, you know that there are over two million deities. That's a whole lot of lights if that's what you're going to own it. But he didn't say he was one of the many lights, nor did he wait, and nor was this scripture written 630-some years later when Islam came along. As a matter of fact, Allah never said through Muhammad allegedly that he was even the light. Study the Quran. You know what I'm talking about. He never said it. It was only one person that has ever in history made the proclamation. And if you all capture this, you'll understand what your Christmas season is really all about. Please hear your pastor when I say this. No other form of religion ever talks about the things that the gospel talks about. Buddhism doesn't even talk heaven. It's a philosophy. Hinduism talks about multiple ways to come back in multiple ways. So if you didn't do someone right, you better not kill that animal because that animal may be the uncle that you did wrong. No, I'm serious. Don't get mad at me. I'm just a messenger. Now you say, well, that's sacrilegious. You shouldn't say that about another uh, religion. I say whatever I want. I have the microphone right now. You got starving people over there and all of those little LZ cows are running around with all that great beef. 
And they won't eat them because they are fearful that they have come back through one of these animals and to eat them may be eating one of their relatives. Yum, yum, Grammy. Because if I'm hungry, man, I'm going to get me a napkin. I'm going to get me some fire going. I'm going to have the biggest Listen, I'm going to have the best filet mignon you will ever see, the wonderful porterhouse. And if grandpa, great grandmama, uncle is one of those, God bless him. But me in A1 steak sauce is about to have some issues here. <laughs> see, we don't know who we believe in. So we have what is called, and you've seen this on the back of bumper stickers, it's the word coexist. Anybody ever see that on the back of a bumper sticker? You have all these symbols of religion. Now, I don't have a problem existing with everyone. As a matter of fact, America is the best place to live, to exist with everybody. Say amen. Because you can't go to another country that has a religious system and even practice your religion openly. I'm not going to get into eschatology this morning. Even right now, what's going on in Egypt, uh, the Coptic church, the oldest church that the earth even knows anything about, is under attack by the Muslim Brotherhood, the leaders, the prime ministers, because they're holding on to their Christianity. We're doing good here this morning, but do you know we have brothers and sisters that are struggling now to meet in places simply because there is no religious tolerance in the systems in which they live up under, but yet we live up under... One of the greatest nations that ever existed. And yes, we can coexist as it relates to being kind one to another. But when we begin to talk about who Jesus is, there, there should be some fire in your belly. There should be something in you that says, wait a minute here. I don't have to be belligerent with you in order for me to express who I am. But make no mistake about it. I believe that I serve the risen Savior. And I believe had it not been for him. And had it not been for his blood that was shed, there would be no way that men could ever be saved. Why? Because no other religion offers salvation other than Jesus Christ. Somebody put your hands together. Give the Lord a hand clap. You say, well, what about Islam? They don't offer it. I know I almost practice it. I used to go to the mosque talking about Allah Akbar. And I know better. I know the Quran. I know what it teaches. It doesn't teach that a man can be saved by faith. It teaches that a man might be saved by the works that he does. You better know it's a difference. See, faith means that today somebody could introduce you to Jesus. Tonight you could die and you'd be saved. But in Islam, they don't teach it. They teach that a man must do a lot of works in order to, that he may obtain favor from Allah. Well, what happens, Muhammad, if I give my life to serving Muhammad and, and serving his teachings and yet I die today? Guess what? I don't know where I'm going. But in Jesus. Touch somebody and say, thank God for Jesus. See... That means that you can live like a devil and God keeps you all the days of your life. But before you leave here, go talk to the thief that was on the cross. Here he was. He had been a thief and a scoundrel all of his life. Yet while he was dying, blood was pouring out of him. He looks over at Jesus and says, remember me. Jesus looks back while he was dying and says, listen, not only am I going to remember you today, you're going to be with me, boy, forever. But if you were in Islam, you wouldn't have that opportunity give someone a high five and tell them Jesus is the reason for the season 
Why do I take time to deal with this? Moms, dads, you need to know this for your sons. When they go away to school, they're going to be infiltrated on the college universities about different thoughts and different processes. And how do you know the man didn't write the scripture? But if you're able to tell them before there was a man, <laughs> there was a savior. But how did the Bible come? Wait a minute. There is more evidence that Jesus existed than there is that Sherlock Holmes existed. But yet you believe in Sherlock. There's more evidence that Jesus existed than Socrates. Yet we teach it in our schools. But there's more evidence about it. More men have given their life for serving Jesus freely and lost their life in order to obtain eternal life than any other religious group that there is. Let you smoke on that one a while. Let's go back to the word. I got to get out of here. The same was what, go, go to verse number nine. That was the true light, which light every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came to his own, speaking of Jesus, and his own didn't even receive him. But, oh, I'm so glad there's a conjunction here. As many as receive him. Everybody put your hand on your heart. Say, that's what you do. You got to open up your heart. Let him come in. Look at verse number 12. But as many that received him, to them. Touch your neighbor and tell your neighbor, I'm glad I'm one of them. To them, he gave power to become what? The sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me I didn't have to walk with Jesus to be with Jesus? No. He said, if you just believe. What is believe? Please write it down. It means to rely, to trust, and to depend fully upon. So when you are a believer, your life is, 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 is assimilated in who Christ is. That simply means that whatever he says, he's got you. Whatever he said he's going to do, he's got it. Only thing you got to do is rely and believe on, if he said it, is going to happen. I like that part. Look what it says. Believe on his name, which was born not of blood, nor of man, uh, of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but he was born of God. In other words, he didn't come the natural way. Verse 14 is where I want to stop. And the word, here it is again, to prove that Jesus was God in the flesh. If you look at your King James Version, again, that word, word, is capitalized. Note what it says. And the word was made what? And he did what? He dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father. It didn't say that the Father begot other sons. In order that we could be saved, he said, this is the only one he begot. Or, I like the way Peter and Paul puts it, he's the first one. Because after him, here we come. <laughs> so, watch what the scripture says here. I, I love this particular verse, and I'm going to take you somewhere else. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and, be, and be, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace in what? I want you to turn one other place with me. Go over to First Timothy. Come on, real quick. I love that. As a matter of fact, I, I teach this particular part. If you ever want to know if the Bible that you're reading is a good translation, I strongly recommend you write this verse down. 
This is when you're training someone to understand proper biblical interpretation, whether or not the Hebrew is there, the Greek is there, etc. This particular verse should always be what's called your mark, your bookmark. Because this verse understood properly will we'll give you an understanding of how to do these kinds of things. Now, watch this. This is now uh, Paul writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. Here it is again, God in the flesh. Nobody says, and without controversy. That's verse number 16. That's 1 Timothy, the third chapter, the 16th verse. If you have it, say amen. amen. All right, look at it again. And without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. Here, now watch this. This messes up all Jehovah's Witnesses. Look at the next word. That word God is capitalized. Now, why did you take a moment to hit JWs? Because they had to take our translation and translate another translation for themselves. But it has not. Can I help some of you that have come out of this stuff? If you've never gotten the uh, CD that I did on Jehovah's Witness, I'm just going to pause. I'm, I need to help about three of you here real, real quick. Please hear me because you need to understand the superiority of who Jesus Christ really is here. Here the Bible says something that the New World Order translation that the JWs use don't really have in it. And the reason you need to know it is because when you study, and I taught this when we were here a couple years ago uh, in the other church building, that when I, I brought up the documents that when the heads of the Jehovah's Witness were on trial, even though they had written as if though they were scholars under oath, you can study it. I, we have uh, what case number it was, and you can go online and pull it up yourself. When they were put under oath, even though they had their names with all the JDs and everything else that was out there, and DDs and MDs and ADs and OD and everybody else that was out there, when they were put under oath, here's the reality. They then confessed that none of them were scholars. That means they translated something pretending to be something that they were not. So when they speak of Jesus, even in 1 John and even here in 2nd, uh, 2nd, uh, 1 Timothy here, they actually say that Jesus was actually an angel. But that's not what my Bible teaches. The Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was, dwelt, was made flesh and dwelt among us. didn't say an angel did, but it said that the Word was God, and God came flesh and then dwelt among us. They say, well, that was just in Jesus' time. I beg to differ with you. Forty-plus years later, here comes Paul along. He's talking to his spiritual son, Timothy. Paul had already seen Christ on the road of Damascus, beginning to give the revelation as God has given it to him, and then he he says, Timothy, I need you to understand something. Look at verse number 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Here it is. God, capital G, was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and was received up into glory. <laughs> Touch somebody and tell them, here's God in the person of Jesus Christ. I heard one guy try to argue with me once on the streets of Chicago. He says, well, how can you believe in the Trinity? The word Trinity is not even in the Bible. You believe in a rapture, but the word rapture is not in the Bible. I says, but it's implied. He said, but you can't believe in something that's implied. I said, let me ask you something. Were you there the day your parents conceived you? Well, what do you mean? I'm here. I said, you didn't answer the question. Were you there? Well, no, but I'm the evidence that they did it. I said, are you sure that's your daddy? No, see, I'm trying to help. 
Y'all missing the point. <laughs> I didn't know him. I'm sure it was. That ain't the point. The point was just because we say something doesn't mean that we have all of what we need to understand. How many know the word toothpaste ain't in the Bible? Come on, show your pearlies at somebody and say, but you use it every day. Why do you use it? I'm not repeating that. <laughs> we understand the concept. Paul, I mean, uh, the psalmist tells us that cleanliness is next to godliness. So we take care of ourselves. But it doesn't say you have to use a certain breath. He said, but you still want to answer the question. He said, Trinity is not there. I said, and I took him from Genesis. I took him through uh, John here. Then I took him over to Timothy. He says, well, how can three people be one? I said, simple. I said, do you like fruit? He said, yes. I said, what's your favorite fruit? He happened to like what I like, peaches. I said, let me ask you a question. When you have a peach in your hand, is the skin the peach? Some of y'all thinking about that thing. Well, technically. Yeah, I am technical. Let me be a, sound a little litigious here for just a moment. How many know the skin is the peach? Come on. It's just the skin. How many know when you open up the skin, there's some meat there? How many know that's still the peach? How many know there's a seed in the middle of all of that? How many know it's where it came from? So we got three in one. You can't just give me the skin and not give me the meat and say, I got some peaches. Tell your neighbor, I like that. That works for me. See, God manifested in the flesh. So we're serving him this day. I said to you uh, the other week, can you imagine if our Christmas cards really read the way the scripture said? I want y'all to think about that for a moment. We get nice little Christmas cards. And for unto us was born on this Christmas day, Jesus, the Son of God, in a sleigh. And we make up all these little nice little nursery rhyme. I know it don't say that. I don't want y'all to tell my daughter, don't talk, tell me about it later at home. I don't want to hear it. Here is reality. <laughs> we make it up. But imagine if our Christmas cards were the scripture. For this reason, Jesus was born to kill Satan. Can you imagine Hallmark? <laughs> We'd have to develop a whole nother concept of cards because we couldn't handle it. And the <laughs> putting, a, putting a picture of Jesus on with a sword out to kill Satan. They say, oh, it's supposed to be peaceful. After all, the Christmas card says, and unto us is given peace. Peace and goodwill to See, you know the card, but that ain't what the scripture teaches. I know I'm messing up your cards. Y'all done already bought a pack of cards, sent them out. <laughs> Here's the reality. He didn't say, I'm quoting the scripture. The, Jesus said, I quote him <laughs> through John. He said, don't think I came to bring peace. Where is that at in the Bible? Tell your neighbor that's why you need to know your scripture. Go ahead. Tell him it's in there. I ain't giving you. Go search it yourself. He says, I didn't come to bring peace. I'm quoting Jesus. He said, but I came bringing a sword. He said, I didn't say goodwill to all men, only those that serve me. I, you know, y'all get uneasy when you hear truth because it's like, wait, that messes up my peaceful demeanor. 
I, I can't get along with everybody. Do you know what Jesus said? He's deep. Jesus, I'm going to preach and teach this one day. I mean, I'm going to take a month to do it. Jesus was the most intolerant man I've ever read about. I know we believe in an age of tolerance. Jesus was the most intolerant person I've ever seen. I told that to Dr. Gans the other week. She just got quiet. <laughs> She's not here today, so I'm saying those things. Here we go. Go ahead. Give it a tape. We'll, we'll laugh about it later. I said he was intolerant. He actually had the audacity to say things like, I'm the only way. What would you say, Jesus? I said. Well, he didn't get an attitude like that. But you understand. You're feeling it here. He made declarations that we are afraid to make. You know why? Because if we say the same thing, you know what we look like among our family and friends? Bigoted. Don't say anything. Shh. We're trying to get along. We work in a good work environment. <laughs> Shh. Don't, don't, don't. You're Christian? Me too. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We're just all God's children. All of us. We're just, it doesn't matter what you do. We're all God's children. That ain't what Jesus said. I'm sorry. Jesus said, the world likes you, huh? He says, well, guess what? It hated me. And he went on to say, and if you follow me, it's going to hate you. I ain't getting no help in here, boy. Y'all like, I need to go home and open up my gifts. I need to keep Jesus a peaceful little baby in a manger. No, baby, that's not who he is. That's not what he is. That's not what this is all about. I need to show you something here. This is, this, this is, this, this is, this is, I, I hope this is going to bless you. Turn with me over to something else just real quick. I promise I'm going to get you out of here just five more hours. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, three more hours. Two more hours. Two more hours. Just write this down. I don't have time to go through it. Please write down Matthew 1 and 21. Because when Jesus talks like this, he, he will blow the mind of even a atheist. Can I give you all a little homework to do? You don't have to buy the book. Please look up the name Lou Wallace. How many know the story of Lou Wallace? Anybody know the story? How many remember the governor about 80, 90 years ago of New Mexico? Pastor, why would we remember that? Because you're supposed to read your history books. Mm -hmm. Tell your neighbor, we know what you were doing at lunchtime. This is why. Let me tell you something about him. I, I, I love the story. It's going to bless you all to know who, what this man actually wrote as well, a film he actually produced later that he, was, uh, he authored himself. Lou Arthur was the governor of New Mexico, and he being a great scholar, he set out to do one thing. He set out as an attorney as well. He set out to prove that this stuff about Jesus was stupid. His words, not mine. He said, it's just a bunch of weak people that need help to deal with life in its crisis. That's the governor. That's how he spoke. So he was commissioned by one of the great atheists and said, look, we'll fund you. Take some years, do all your research, and I want you to prove how stupid this myth of Jesus Christ really, this is the governor of a state. Watch this. So he takes it and he begins to do his research. Watch this. But he had someone praying for him. A little Deacon is aching, uh, I'm sorry, Ellis, you'll love it. A little Methodist wife. And she was praying that God would open up his eyes. 
So while the governor was on his hiatus to prove that Jesus was just silly and everybody that followed him was silly, four chapters into him trying to prove, watch this, he realized as an attorney that there was more evidence to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And after his death, he appeared to over 500 some people over 14 times. And it was enough to give validity that whatever he said he was, he had to be. As a result, the governor repented, got saved. Wait. And if you like old movies the way I do, anybody ever see Ben-Hur? He wrote Ben-Hur. <laughs> and so we can find Jesus, watch this, even in the halls of unbelievers. Someone say, well, let's just get to the heart of it because what about old Santa Claus? Santa Claus a myth. Can I debunk you for just a moment? I'm going to get you out of here. But y'all need to know why y'all have Santa Claus. Well, it's a pagan idea, and there is no elves. And Okay, wait, time out. Can I tell y'all who St. Nicholas really was? He was a bishop. Y'all think he was part of the Roman Catholic Church. He wasn't. He was part of the true Catholic Church. And, and if you want to do a little study, uh, go back and study the Council of Nicaea. My favorite counsel. Watch this. He was there standing arguing uh, uh, against one of the men that was opposed to Jesus being God in the flesh. Well, how did, how did we get this idea? This man was so generous that one day, the story has it, that when he found out that a family was going to be thrown over into prison, because watch this. How many have ever had a credit card you didn't pay? Lift up your hand. If you're not sitting next to a neighbor, tell your neighbor, go ahead, get it up, get it up. Tell them I'll stick you up if you don't. How many have had a bill you didn't pay? Come on, come on. If you didn't have a credit card, you didn't have a bill at some point. Watch this. They didn't have bankruptcy laws in the first five centuries. What you had to do was, if you didn't pay, we come get your children. And we sell your children over into slavery for seven years until you work the debt off that you borrowed. Mm, what an idea. We could get rid of some of our children. No, I'm just kidding. Wait. <laughs> so Nicholas, the bishop, was so, was so generous that he took a handful of coins, gold coins, and he went to one of the houses where he knew that they were going to, you know, uh, bring this whole family into slavery. He threw it through the window. The people happened to have their stockings Hanging by the fireplace. Sound familiar? You put stockings in there to get some. And some of the coins landed in the stockings. Somebody said, I never knew why I hung those stockings. That's why you hung it. Because you are repeating something that was passed down by one man's influence called Jesus. This bishop was so deep, he went into the council, and when the man was opposing a God being manifested in the flesh, he ended up taking his hand as a humble bishop and slapping the man. He slapped another bishop. Wait, time out. I'm enjoying this moment too much. Y'all forgive me. <laughs> I'm having good thoughts up here. Hmm. And the council was going to put him out until he apologized. <laughs> Y'all forgive me. It's personal right now. He apologized. And as a result, 
everybody recognized him as a giving type of man. And as a result, we had the idea of birth. But watch this. It's history still tied into an origin of one God manifested in flesh. That's Jesus Christ. Put your hands together for him. Come on. I got to close. Let me say this to you. So when we think about the things of God, and if you understand who he is, then watch this. It changes how you view your perspective. I need you to write down just two last points here. I got to get you out of here. The hour is getting a little late. Last point. Last point, if you don't mind. I'll just give you one, and we'll pick this up uh, in part at, at, at another particular time. Here it is in a nutshell. Please write this down. If Christ is who he is, and we know it, then please write this. Then who are we? Here's part of the answer. We are followers of him. So then what is our role? Number one, to destroy the works of the enemy. Number two, to always find ourselves generous as givers. This is why we're in the season. This is why we give gifts the way that we do. Third, but not least, please record this. We're to pass on our belief systems to generations that are to come. Now, I want you to hear me. This is not just the role of the church as it relates to the eldership. This is the role for every grandmother, every grandfather, every aunt, every uncle, every big sister, every big brother here. Your role is not just to live it. Watch this. Please make sure you record this. But your role is to pass on to the next generation. So here's the last point I want you to write down. What are you doing to pass on your spiritual legacy? What are you doing to pass on your spiritual legacy? As you close your Bibles and you close your notebooks after you finish recording that last paragraph, I want you to make sure that you capture something in your thought process now. If your role is this, we're soon to come into the end of this calendar year. Thank God the Mayas blew it again. I know some of you had sold probably all your possession waiting to go. Whether you believe it or not, they didn't put a lot of it on TV, but some folk did sell everything because they believed it was it. And some of them were even Christians. Again, not knowing the scripture, Jesus already said, no man knows the day or the hour when I'm returning. He said, I'm coming like a thief in the night. And a thief comes when you least expect it. Amen. Here's what I want to get you to. All hearts and minds. Everyone look at pastor. I'm finished. But please hear my heart. We're about to triumph out of this old year. Note the word that I selectively, intentionally use. We're about to triumph. Out of an old year here, just another week or so. What your homework is, I hope you've been on your fast and did your three days. If not, you got a few more days. How many know it's been difficult without your salt hookup? How many have done it? How many know you got to get to it? Look at your neighbor and say, what you waiting on? What you waiting on? What are you waiting on? Some of y'all think it's so easy. Yeah. Call me when it's over. Here, here's what I want to get your hearts to. We are all called not just to look back for the purpose of looking back. We're called to have, no matter what negative has happened in this 2012 year, you're called to have a triumph attitude. That means you extrapolate. You take whatever good that was there and you bring it into a position that you can manifest it for the purpose of doing a greater work. Everyone look at pastor. 
Every one of you under the sound of my voice, you should begin to begin to think about 2013 now. What are you going to do for him? What new things are you going to accomplish for him? How much time will you spend in the word this year coming up? Will your prayer life increase? Will you only wait for Sunday service to know who he is? Or will you eat during the week to fill yourselves with his knowledge? These are things that are so pertinent to our success in him. That if we miss this window, your triumph will turn into tragedy. Your victory will turn into just a vice that you're just doing something over and over without any merit, without any proper understanding. But if you're going to do the will of God, you know who God is. He then puts it on you and I to say, now go out and do the works that you've seen me do. Then you're going to have to spiritually roll up your spiritual sleeves this year. And you're going to have to fight battles that you've not fought. But hear me. It's for the purpose of winning victories you've never had before. Did you hear that? It's not just to fight to fight. But it's to win to win. God is going to help us if we get involved in this process. Hear me prophetically as you're standing. As we march out of this place in just a few more weeks, march into a place where we'll be able to house and do ministry with our youth and a whole lot of other things, you better ask yourself, how will I involve myself and give myself to a purpose that's bigger than me? Can I help some of you real quick? Until you find something that's larger than your own problems and your own life to do in his kingdom, you'll always be stuck in some quagmire of, of, of self-loathing, dealing with your own issues. And the Lord will never get the benefit out of your life. You know why? You're stuck just looking at your own little issue. Can I speak a prophetic word here real quick? Allow the Lord to impregnate your spirit with something that's larger than your life. And once you do that, your life will change as you know it. It doesn't mean that your problem goes away. It just means that God becomes larger than the little problem that you're dealing with. Amen? How many know we need to go forward and do the things of God in a way we've never done before? How many know the Lord is requiring more of you than what you did this year? You won't take your failures into it, but you'll have success. Would you bow your heads? If I'm speaking to you, eyes are closed. Would you just repeat this with me? Say, Father, forgive me of all my sins, all my transgression. Say, I believe that over 2,000 years ago, Christ died. Three days later, he was resurrected. I believe the blood that he shed will empower me to do a mighty work for him. And all of my failures... All of my challenges of this year, I refuse to take it into my next calendar year. I will become faithful in the things of my God. I will triumph in all things that he will put in my hand. And I will mimic, imitate my eldest brother Jesus. And I will seek to destroy the works of the enemy in my home, in my community, in my business, in my job. 
in my school, among my family. In his name, I will triumph. If you prayed that prayer, then put your hands together everywhere. Come on. Put them together everywhere. We hope this message has been a blessing in your life. To hear more inspiring, transformative messages, visit glorytoglory.org and make sure you follow and like us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.